Welcome to Musicians vs. the World, the podcast where we explore aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. I am your host, Christine Smith, and today we're going to continue on our path as we are learning about neurodiversity in the music world. We're going to take some time to hone in on reading music and the different types of learning styles and the different ways that people process reading music. And we're going to talk about very specific strategies that can help us if maybe perhaps we have hit a wall and that we want to be able to read music better or faster or learn our pieces faster. This is also a great episode for teachers who may have students that are stumbling or having trouble with reading music. It's for students too, that maybe you are not reading music as well as you want to, and you want to learn some strategies and some scaffolding so that you can improve your reading skills. And my guest today has been working on this system over the years as she has been teaching her own students, and it's been working wonders for her students, and she's happy to come here and share her strategies, her scaffolding, and all of the things that she does with her students to help them be better music readers. My guest today is Dr. Melena McLaren, and I'm going to now read her bio to you so that you can get to know her a little bit better, and then I'll introduce you to her. Dr. Melena McLaren is the professor of clarinet at Northwestern State University of Louisiana. She received the Bachelor in Music Education and Master of Music degree in clarinet performance at the University of New Mexico and the Doctor of Musical Arts degree in clarinet performance with a minor in musicology at the University of North Texas. She has recorded with the University of New Mexico Chamber Orchestra, the University of North Texas Wind Symphony, and has performed in orchestras throughout Mexico and the United Kingdom. As a member of the Trio de Llano, Milena has performed throughout the U.S., Slovakia, the Czech Republic, England, and Spain. She is also a core member of the Rapides Symphony Orchestra and has performed solo and chamber recitals at multiple international clarinet fest conferences. She is the international award-winning researcher and is currently serving as Louisiana State Chair for the International Clarinet Association. So Dr. McLaren, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Musicians Versus the World. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and excited to talk about this. I'm really excited to try and be helpful for uh, students and teachers. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for agreeing to it. I have to say, um, you and I chatted a couple days ago and you were telling me about some of these activities and these different scaffoldings that you do with your student. And I tried it out on one of my students on Wednesday and he's awesome. just this little guy. Oh my goodness. Oh, like, I'm so glad. Oh my goodness. It worked so well and he That's had so much great. fun yes. and it was just, I am so happy to report that it worked well with my student and I'm excited oh, to share this. Yes, I'm so happy to hear that because it's worked so well for me. And I, you know, the last thing I want to do is tell other people how to teach by any means. But um, <laughs> I love to share and to have things shared with me over, you know, the, over the years as people have that just help us all help other people. So I'm really okay. happy to, that you told me that. That makes me really, really glad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I have a few more students. I'm going to be like, okay. We need, excellent. <laughs> we need, excellent. We need keep to me do. posted. Yeah, keep me posted. <laughs> <laughs> I will for sure. So I, yeah, you said you've used this with your students as well. So can you um, describe kind of the history of this and, and what you've noticed in your studio and why these tips and these structures have been so important? Absolutely. Well, and I, you know, I really kind of stumbled upon it uh, because just being a typical, you know, college student, I changed my major a couple times and found myself taking classes I thought would, were, you know, were kind of 
irrelevant after I actually finished my degree in music ed. I had taken some extra classes I ended up not needing. But one of those was uh, a linguistics class, which really fascinated me at the time, but I didn't ended up not needing it for the music ed degree. But um, because it was so interesting when I took it, I remember just really kind of devouring the information and then just figured, well, okay, I guess I don't need that anymore and moved on. And then as I started teaching, I was noticing um, some issues in reading music that were, I wasn't sure how to approach. I wasn't sure how to help students. And it it, um, it concerned me as a teacher. How, how am I going to help these kids? So um, what I went back to, and I will, of course, talk more about both of these things, but what I went back to is um, what I learned in this ling- linguistics class about how our brain learns language and how we process information and in what order. And so in a nutshell, that is, I just thought, let me try this. Let me see if this is going to help some of my students. And it really worked. And so the more I tried, it's kind of like my own like active experiment over years and years, you know. <laughs> so I each time would try something a little different or, you know, kind of tweak it as I went and um, was just really excited to see the results. And most importantly, to see the students feel at, like they were making progress. It was tangible for them, like as something clicked or made sense. And so right. that was such positive feedback for me as a teacher. I just kept going with it and kind of went back to those, you know, I'm certainly not a linguist by any means. I have a class is all. So I just took from that beginner linguistics class, how our brain learns language, the things that I remembered about um, how we go from being able to speak and then being able to read the language, our, our, our native language. It takes a while for that to happen. We don't just start speaking the minute we hear the language. There's a, a lot of processes that need to happen in the brain. Um, so that's really what kind of informed the, the sequencing that I did with my students and helping them read better, read music better. Um, and so that's kind of in a nutshell how all of that came about. I also found myself while at the University of North Texas, um, you know, we all need to make money for rent. And so I was teaching lessons <laughs> and I was teaching in a middle school. So I had a whole studio of beginners, uh, which was fun on so many levels. I just loved teaching them. But it forced me to really go with fundamentals and teach them from scratch. And so having to do that for a year, and then once I got to teaching college, seeing some of the issues I was seeing in reading music, that connection was really made for me that they were missing some of those fundamental reading skills for whatever reason. Um, so just trying to connect the dots for them and and not making them feel like they had that there was something wrong with them, that they had missed out. It's no, no fault of yeah. their own. It was just for whatever reason either didn't retain for them, didn't connect, or was actually missing. So it didn't matter what the case was. It was just that we, if we could solve it and, and help right. them, that's the important thing. So, Yeah. And I think that's important, especially as they get to their like older years when they're already in music school that you don't, you know, you don't want to feel like something's wrong with you. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they're so self-conscious anyway. We all right. are. I mean, being a musician, you have to let your walls down to really yeah. play well. And that puts us in a really vulnerable position. And so we as teachers, I think, recognizing that responsibility, we have to be a safe space for students to do that and then to honor that space by not making them feel that they're doing something wrong or something's wrong with the way that they're learning or trying to play, um, you know, that's, that's such a, you've got to be careful how you address those things. You can't just say, you can't read music. What's wrong with you? You know? Um, so, cause they're trying, it's not that they were not trying, they just didn't have a way to, to do it. So, um, which just broke my heart for them. You could see the frustration. 
So I was just glad to be able to figure out some way to help, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's so great that you have this, this different thing. Now you said that there are two different types of readers. Do you want to explain a little bit about that? So fascinating. Sure. So, um, you know, I, this was actually completely trial and error. I was, um, thinking, especially these first few students, I remember my first few years of teaching at the college level, how can I approach this with them? I noticed that they were either one or a combination of these things, getting lost in the music. So they would be playing, but would very easily get lost. Freezing wasn't that they didn't understand what was on the page, but they would just freeze, couldn't keep playing. Um, They were getting a general contour of what was written, but not all the details in there, you know. So, for example, if you have several measures of 16th notes with some interspersed 8th note passages, just reading them as if they were the same rhythm. Uh, Just those sorts of mistakes, you know, um, transposing rhythms or transposing notes, um, just those sorts of things. So I thought they're not seeing all of the details. Um, so I remember asking one of the students, you know, how do you, how do you read a book? Do you, do you read quickly or do you read slowly? And this kind of started then this process of me figuring out, okay, I'm seeing students are falling into two categories, over readers or over skimmers. And I think not just students, all of us, if you think for yourself, you know, I know I'm an over skimmer. I am the one who will read a book Um, I'll be reading and I've got to go back because I'm like three sentences ahead of where I've actually comprehended what I read. (laughs) So, you know, I catch myself definitely over skimming. Oh, yeah. Over readers tend to really get in the word into each sentence and won't go on until they understand that sentence. And there's absolute value in both of those. I have yet to find a person who reads beautifully, perfectly, never has issues. I'm sure they're out there. But Usually when I ask someone, they're like, oh, I'm an overreader for sure. I look at every, oh, I'm an overskimmer. And then I tell the student, well, it relates. Let's think when you read music, do you read every single note? Are you really analyzing every note? Or are you kind of looking at the contour of, of a measure or a line or two measures? And they almost know immediately, oh, yeah, I tend to do this. They, they're really clear on what their tendency is. And the first thing I tell them is, great, I do this. Here's my tendency. This is just a brain tendency. This is nothing is wrong with either of us, with anybody this is just our tendency of how we read. Mm-hmm. Um, so then what I explain to them is once they've identified, oh, okay, I'm an overreader. That's what I tend to do. And I always say, I'm an overskimmer. So I will just kind of keep going. And then we can both kind of laugh about it and say, you know, this mm-hmm. is just great. Okay. And then I tell them the good news is the strategies to help us read music are exactly the same for both of us. So mm-hmm. then I tell them, this is how this relates to music. If you took out Every, all the spaces, just imagine a paragraph, take out all the spaces, capital letters, punctuation, all of that, you would still be able to read that paragraph because your brain knows those words and those patterns of letters, but it would be really exhausting because your brain is having to create the structure, the visual grammar, Mm -hmm. while it's also trying to comprehend what's there. And that's a lot to ask your brain to do. What our brain actually does when we are Learn, or reading or learning the language is it has to understand that grammar before it can actually use the information. So this is why, and this is what I learned in my linguistics class, why, you know, babies can understand what you're saying long before they can start to converse with you. Um, of course, there's muscle development that needs to happen, all of that. But this is why we get that really cute kind of toddler language of, you know, um, mixing up words or mixing up the pronoun, you know, Um, this is she ball or this is he cookie or, you know, things like that. (laughs) Their brain is figuring out which, you know, the, the rules, the rules of the language, the grammar, the structure. And 
if you're looking at music, it's also a language. I think we all can kind of agree on that. There's oh, yeah. a grammar and a structure to to music, to looking and reading, looking at and reading music. So I try and make the relationship for them that these are musical words. It's an alphabet, it's letters, it's patterns. So think of them as words versus just a bunch of notes that you're putting together. So if you can give your brain the structure and the grammar that it needs to be able to then comprehend what's there, you've you've removed a really big obstacle. Mm. So I think them understanding, okay, yeah, and this is not necessarily difficult. It's just knowing that you need to do it. So, mm-hmm. um, so I just, I, I kind of make that relationship for them. And then I, again, I tell them if, you know, whether you're an overreader or an overskimmer, you are removing the grammar, <laughs> whether it's just seeing a whole lot or you're just seeing one letter at a time, the structure is missing. So that kind of sets the stage for then what we do to, to help yeah. them. Yeah. So to kind of recap, so the overskimmers sure. are the ones that are just kind of way ahead and sometimes they'll miss the details and things like that. Right. They'll but then the, the contour, over- you know, they'll kind of, kind of get the contour of the phrase, but, and Maybe probably rush. Right. Yeah. And probably rush. Um, yeah. Not always, but tend to be, over readers can definitely rush too because they just give up and they tend to freeze a little more often because they just get really stuck in a word. But yeah, um, I'm a big rusher. I, I have to really watch myself because that's just my tendency. So I think uh-huh. over skimmers have a tendency to really rush, you know, finish a phrase even three, four beats ahead of time. Yeah. And then, so then the over readers are like reading note by note by note and that's where the yeah. pauses come in and all of right. those. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So there's no context for it. They just see the notes. The minute there's something that their brain has to think about, they usually freeze or they just start mm-hmm. making stuff up, you know, which again, I yeah. always tell them it's okay. Your brain is, is wired to go to the path of least resistance. And sometimes that means guessing, like, yeah. you know, you have to keep going <laughs> and your brain's like, I just got to keep going. So it just kind of goes and, and guesses, but then they eventually just kind of freeze and stop. Don't really know where gotcha. they are, what beat they're on. They're just kind of panicking moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that makes, that makes total sense. So then, so your first step is to figure out where they are and help them to realize, okay, there's nothing wrong with you. Here are some things that can help. Yes. Yeah. And I try and make some funny like analogies and references to like that reading one is great because I, if you, they can all picture a paragraph and taking out all spaces, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And, you know, just kind of make it very light and this is not a serious issue. This is just what it would be like and think about how exhausting that would be, you know? Right. Oh yeah. 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 So then what's the next step? Because these are all strategies and it's like a scaffolding, right? Yes, exactly. So then what happens after you, after you like have figured out what is going on? Yes. Okay. So uh, it, depending on the level of the student, the, the basic understanding of the grammar needs to be there. In my situation, it always is because they're at the college level and have some level of playing experience through middle school and high school. So rhythm, understanding, quarter note, half note, eighth note, sixteenth note, those sorts of things, and that they can read the notes. We're not still working on actually naming the notes. So you can, I think, still do this with beginners. It would just be within their ability of reading skill that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But once that is set, then I tell them the first thing we've got to do is get the spaces between your words, between your musical words. And I show them, so in publishing music, the way we write music, even handwriting music, we have a grammar in there. We've got bars that put the eighth notes together or the 16th notes together, the way the quarter notes look, we've got a time signature, the grammar is set up, your eyes are just not seeing it because of the tendency you have in your reading. And I always go back to myself. So for example, my tendency is to erase all bar lines, forget about how the 16th notes are barred together, I just want to keep going. Mm -hmm. Um, So that they can relate to, okay, well, my tendency is the same, or I, I tend to just forget all bar lines, because I'm looking at every note, you know. 
Yeah. So then I have them put in what I call beat marks, which I tell them this has nothing to do with knowing where the beat is. You know that. This is not about your intellectual understanding of where the beats are, but it's a visual cue. It's the spaces in your sentence. So it's the spaces between the words. And it's literally just a straight line over the first over the first note in that beat, which mm -hmm. can either be, you know, group of sixteenths or if it's a half note, you put two lines over it spaced appropriately. So you're mm -hmm. really so you have to be careful in spacing these beat marks that it actually looks equally spaced as much as possible right. where appropriate for them for the and and I'll um and once you do it you'll see exactly what I mean it's pretty straightforward mm -hmm. so I explained to them they're putting the spaces in this is very easy for us to understand but understanding what you're doing the intellectual understanding and the application of it are two very different skills so I always tell them give yourself grace and be patient with your brain let it get this pathway made and it will take some repetition. So don't think you're doing something wrong or there's something wrong with you if you don't get it right away. But this is, mm -hmm. so just let yourself do it. Then I have them just say or sing the rhythm while they're either with their pencil or their finger pointing to that line. It's like a bouncing ball experiment. We've all seen those, you know, you're just yeah. watching. <laughs> what that does, and I explain this to them, is we got to train your visual cues. Your eyes are either not going to the next space or they're ignoring the space and just moving on. So mm -hmm. we have to train our eyes to meet at every visual cue so you see the beginning of each word. This is what we do when we read, and our brain then recognizes the pattern by what's at the beginning. And we can really, your brain can really quickly see those patterns. Right. But if you don't look at the beginning of the word, you're not giving it a chance to recognize that pattern. Mm. So I kind of make a joke, like, you've got to meet every beat. Like, you have to visually, your brain and your eyes have to go to that beat. You say hello, shake its hand. How are you today? How's your mom and them? Is everything good? Okay, wonderful. <laughs> the other ones that you're just passing by, you know them. They're people, they're your friends, but you're going to say hello to, hey, how's it going? Nice to gotcha. see you. Oh, and you too. So they kind of get, I mean, it's a funny way for them to get the visual of, no, I mean, meet that beat. Don't just look at it. Meet it. Mm -hmm. Hello, how are you? Eye contact. And so we always usually have a little chuckle about that, but then they understand how important it is for their brain and their eyes to meet at that next beat. So, of course, we're going quite slow and a small chunk, a measure at a time, two measures at mm -hmm. a time. Um, but no playing. We are just saying the rhythm, pointing to help your eyes. So I always tell them we're practicing the visual cue. You're going to get the notes. I'm not worried. Your brain will tell your fingers what to do, and it will work every time. But if your brain has nothing to tell your fingers... That's why you can't play it because <laughs> there's oh, no gotcha. information going there. Yeah. <laughs> so, and your brain can't tell your fingers anything if it doesn't have the musical word ready to go. But it, So it can tell you the whole word, but you got to let it see it. Then when they can do that and they feel confident that their visual cue is, is happening, then I'll have them do the same thing, but fingering on their instrument, whatever it is. No playing yet, but still just singing it, putting the notes in, but really making sure their visual cue is staying. And I always go back to that. Are your eyes meeting each beat? Can you feel the visual cues happening? And by this point, they're, they're usually, nope, not happening. Great. Let's just stay in that. Go back one step and do it until that's happening. Or they know, yeah, oh, my goodness. Yes, okay, I'm seeing that. I see that. Great. When they can finger through and sing it, then we play it. Because now you're not asking your brain to do all that at once. Your brain can now right. send the signals to your fingers. Again, yeah. quite slowly, I tell them, do it. Who cares what the tempo is? Just make it... Um, Easy. So it's very easy for your brain. The tempo will be there when you need it, once you have this organization uh, ready to go. So then when they feel a little success in that one measure or those two measures, they're really, I have found, at least in my experience, they're excited to go ahead and put their beat marks in everywhere else. You know, we yeah. try the next two measures and then I set up an assignment for the next week. And then I do tell them also, now, don't worry, your music will not have little lines all over it for the rest of your life. What you're showing your brain is this skill, this reading skill. 
that you can use in places where the patterns or the rhythms are not comfortable or not familiar to you. So you can use this skill. Pretty soon, though, your brain's going to do this. It's going to thank you for giving it the grammar and the structure, and you won't need to put those visual cues in. Your brain will just see them. But you've mm -hmm. now got a tool that where your brain is not seeing them, you know exactly what to do. Why am I messing up these three measures? Okay, go back to the signals aren't being sent. Let's go back to square one. Put your beat marks in. Point. Make sure your visual cues are there. Finger through. Make sure your visual cues are staying put. Now try and play it. Once it's there, you've got it. The added benefit then they see is if you are making a rhythm or a, any sort of mistake, rhythm or technique, you know exactly which beat it's happening in, which musical word. So you can mm. isolate mistakes very quickly, fix just the mistake, not just play the same phrase over and over and hope it gets better. Right. So it makes practicing much more efficient. Much more efficient. Exactly. And then I tell them the extra added bonus is when you're performing we all have some level of performance anxiety, I think, but especially students, you know, this is just new to them. Really, the, the issue that creates that fear is that you don't know what you're going to do if you mess up. Well, if you have a system in place that when you make a mistake, you can recover within one or two beats, the fear goes away. You may still, you're going to have the adrenaline, of course, that's, we all do, that's why we do music, but it will become excitement or anticipation versus fear, which is a very different experience. Mm -hmm. um, nobody wants to be afraid to play. But if you know you can recover, then mistakes are no longer like falling off a cliff, you know, and, and in our brains sometimes. I mean, that's a different discussion of the performance anxiety, but in our brains, <laughs> we can't really make that differentiation sometimes. Right. It can really feel really frightening when we don't know how we'll recover from something. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that's a, kind of the sequencing. And, and of course, each student is different. So I'll spend a lot more time in one area of that sequencing with another. But it's really great to see the excitement when they start to see not only the improvement, but that they are now empowered. They have a way to help themselves mm -hmm. rather than yeah. just bringing it to me. Oh yeah. It makes them independent and then they yes. can go on to the next, next part. So why do you think that um, being able to read music is important for musicians? Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting, you know, well, of course we've got uh, our oral training, our, our, our being able to play by ear, of course, super yes. important. Um, but the reading skill, you know, I think, when I went through school and I was training very much for a sort of studio sort of thing, pit orchestra sort of thing. So I doubled on the woodwinds and really was training to do sight reading. So um, mm -hmm. this is why it was a little bit strange to me as I started to teach is that this was not in my realm of this is a problem I have come across for whatever reason. I kind of knew how to do this. Thankfully, I'm sure I, because of the wonderful teachers I had um, that I was set up for that, which is great. That, so that was, but that's just my experience that this not, doesn't have to be everybody's experience. So I, it really forced me in seeing this issue to just really deconstruct it and figure out how does one teach this? I didn't have to do this at this time. So how do I teach this to students? And so, but I think it made my reading a lot better too, because I saw my <laughs> tendency and how to do it. But I think, I think, you know, I've got students who want to do that sort of thing. They want to be able to take gigs. They want to be able to, um, play professionally in that way. Of course, sight reading skills are crucial when that happens, but also just their auditioning and their ensemble playing and their being able to play the repertoire and truly enjoy it. I think if the reading skill is strong and not only the reading, but then the recovery skill is strong, it makes yeah. a completely different experience for them. So I, I kind of equate it to them like a very eloquent public speaker. Those, I mean, can just be really moving. And I'm sure we can all instantly think of an example for us, our own personal lives, that it's, we've really been moved by a public speaker somehow. Right. 
And it's a similar thing. You know, we can all read, but not all of us can speak publicly that eloquently, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think if this trains you as a musician to speak through your instrument more eloquently and more comfortably, the experience is really much more. You're really experiencing the music rather than panicking about reading it. Or you can just enjoy more. You can read a book more comfortably, all that sort of stuff. Same with music. You learn music so much faster mm-hmm. because it's just like you're reading words you already know versus having to relearn each of these words, each of these notes every time. It's not a puzzle mm-hmm. you're solving every time. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And, and then it's so fun to see just the enjoyment for them when they get through a piece and they actually experienced it instead of just like, oh, gosh, get me through this. Then, uh, oh, it's just, it's just that's the most rewarding part for me to see to see that for them. Um, and yeah. it happens on different levels. You know, some, some students are just going to get it faster and understand it. And some are going to get it just enough to be able to get through their jury. Or to get through their, you know, piece they have to play in public, you know, and that's okay. And that's great. That is fine. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That is perfectly fine. That is great. So what is, how do you approach a student with this? Like that first time you notice something's, you know, you notice something's off with their sight reading or their rhythm's a little bit off. How do you approach your student without, you know, making them feel bad? Right. I'm so glad you asked that because we have to be so careful. And this is where our responsibility as as a teacher comes in. Um, I am very careful not to just say you're doing this wrong or what's happening right. there. What, what, what's wrong? They know they're doing it wrong. They, yeah. they don't want to do it wrong. <laughs> they want to do it better. I usually start with a question and I let them keep going because, because for me it helps them. So for a larger chunk, I don't stop them right away. I just, so I have a little more data to decide what do I think is happening? Do I think they're an overreader or an overskimmer? What? So I kind of have an idea of how I'm going to approach it. But I let them play for a I don't torture them. I let them keep going. You know, if they're really struggling, we stop. But but I let them finish <laughs> out a section, and then I ask a question. So um, you know, what what's? Tell me what's happening in your brain as you're reading that. How are you seeing this line? Or just tell me what's happening. Um, and then usually there, my experience is they've been pretty open with, gosh, I'm just, I'm freezing. I'm getting stuck right here. And I'll usually follow because by then I've made my own assessment. I think they're an overreader. You know, let's say this person's an overreader and I notice they're freezing a lot, uh, or really just have a lot of tension. It looks like they're really laboring through it. So sometimes they'll just say, I don't know. I just can't, I can't play because they really don't know what's happening. So then I'll kind of ask leading questions of, um, do you feel like your brain just stops, like it doesn't want to read anymore? Do you feel like your, your brain's having to choose between guessing and playing? And then usually, you know, just trying to help them put words to what, what they're experiencing. Do you feel, is it really frustrating? Are you frustrated at this point? What's happening to your brain? Are your eyes getting stuck or are you just skipping ahead over here? Or when you read this measure and you're looking at this note, what's the next note you land on? Um, you know, mm-hmm those sorts of questions just to really isolate and get them to start seeing, oh, well, I don't think I'm lending on any notes. Okay, great. Let's see if, sometimes I'll do it just for three beats. Can you just yeah. play, like let's, and I put the beat marks in, can you just play these three notes? Let's say it's three sets of, three, three beats of 16th notes, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. I'll just kind of really break it down so they start to understand what they're, what, what's happening, what their brain's doing. Then I'll go into like, oh, yeah, I've seen this happens for, you know, a lot of people. This is and I always put my experience in. You know what my brain does? I have a tendency to just skip over four four beats and I just want to look at the end of the phrase, you know, and I just try and make it light and like, oh, yeah, we all of us have a tendency to do one of these things. What are you what's your tendency? You know, which mm-hmm. which group are you in that that um but so then and then I always tell them we can fix that I can help you fix that so let's figure out what your brain's doing so I can 
I can help you. And then by then they've usually opened up and they're just relieved that there's nothing wrong with them or, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then sometimes they'll come back a few lessons later and say, I'm really frustrated. I didn't know this already. Or why has no one shown me this? And I always tell them, no, this, this it doesn't matter. Like, that's okay. Like most, when you're in an ensemble setting, one person can't hear everybody's tendency. So nobody taught you poorly or wrong or anything. Right. You just haven't come across this experience where we get to break it down. That's the beauty of lessons. And we're going to break it down. Yes. But it's nobody's yeah. fault. You didn't do anything wrong. Nobody did anything wrong. It's just that when you're in a large group, you just didn't, you can't hear everybody at once. Nobody could. Right, <laughs> so, right, right. So we all cope as we can. Some people become really great at, by playing, uh, at playing by ear as mm-hmm. their way of dealing with it. And what a great skill, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, my ear is not nearly strong. I'm a much stronger reader. And that maybe is why is because I really had to work hard at developing my ear. I was not one of those musicians who that came easily for me. Um, and so, so in music school, that was how I would spend lots of time on my oral skills homework and that's okay. <laughs> and I didn't play piano at all. Like those were skills I really had to learn. Yeah. So my reading skills maybe are strong because of that. Maybe that was why I could, I could read well. Mm-hmm. Um, So, but then I've had students who, if I sang it to them once, it's done. They can memorize the whole thing. That's amazing to me. And I always point out what they do well. Like, that is unbelievable that you can do that. Let's put both of these skills together and you'll be unstoppable. And that's amazing. You'll be able to do anything. Yes. Yeah. So um, I I just try and and show them this is, we're just adding this to what you already do well. You don't necessarily do anything that's holding you back. Let's just keep adding skills to what you do well. And right. now we found something that we can work on. Let's work on this together. So just always trying to empower them to realize, you know, because at the end of the day, oh, man, we're musicians for so many reasons and not really to become famous or to do, you know, it's great if that happens to some people, but it's such a wonderful addition to regardless of our profession. If we have that in our lives, it just, I think it just makes us more human, you know, it just, so, mm-hmm. so it's, if they can leave me and go be the doctor, lawyer, whatever they're doing and still appreciate music and be able to pick it up as they keep going. That's right. fantastic. Right. And this is just another tool that helps them be independent so that they can do yes. that for their entire lives. Exactly. Yeah. My job is to make sure they don't need me, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So, which, which is great. And then, then I can just be friends with them. <laughs> so I can't wait till we can just be friends and go have coffee. Right now I got to be your teacher. So <laughs> we're going to learn stuff. But when you're out there, come visit me. We'll go have coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that relationship that you keep. And I yeah. think that helps, you know, create that environment that you were talking about, yeah. about it being a safe place and helping yeah. them with their problems and not and not really framing it as a problem. It's just exactly. like expanding yeah. their toolbox. Yeah, exactly. Just, and, and recognizing yeah. that our brains all do things a little differently. And that's right. actually a great thing. That's really yes. cool because um, mm-hmm. then we can all help each other. So it's recognizing what your brain does and then working with it. Yeah. I love so, that. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing this. This is, and like I said, I did this with a student and it was just amazing and I'm how, so you know, yeah, yeah. And how just happy he was and how motivated he was to yeah. like, he'd been working on this section for so long oh, bless and it. we just, we just took a step back and he, you know, we laughed together and we just had yes. a really great time. So I, oh, good. I hope other people listen yes. to this and either use it for themselves or for their students and just really take yeah. advantage of this great, great advice that you're giving. Oh, I'm so, me too. And I would love to hear from anybody that tries it and has some, uh, just to, sh- to share in the, you know, like, yes, yeah. awesome. High five club <laughs> about it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And now just to end up, I'm um, just to finish up. I know you've yeah. given lots of advice, but what, sure. 
sort of general advice, like one more piece of advice that you have for sure. anyone wanting to be a musician? Yeah, I think um, the first thing that comes to mind is to just let go of the expectation of perfection. Um, I know I started as a musician really trying to make everything perfect. I really wanted to go take auditions and be out there just to, like in either pit orchestras or an orchestra or something. Uh, that'll wear you out real fast. Um, yeah. And so I think realizing music is not about perfection. Um, in fact, there's a quote, and I'm sorry, I don't remember who said this, but oh, I just, one of my favorite qu quotes, it's um, the artistry is in the recovery. And that is mm. just beautiful to me because... I mean, that's just kind of a metaphor for life, right? Usually, rarely does something go as planned. Um, but I think <laughs> if we can just release that expectation that it needs to be right. perfect, um, mm -hmm. of course, we want to do it well and correctly, but that within that framework, there's a lot of room for each of us to have our own voice. That, that would be my advice. And, and be open to anything and any experience because we can make a great career as a musician if we're open. If we narrow ourselves, we can really frustrate that process very quickly. So... Um, just be open, be kind, meet everybody, be, you know, um, and, uh, with an open heart and, and then just, just enjoy it. I mean, what a great gift to be a musician. Really, really great. It is. It's wonderful. Yeah. And you're wonderful. Thank you. Thank of you course. so much for being here. No, my goodness. You're yeah. so nice. No, this was wonderful. What a great, great. I, I could, as you know, we talked on the phone, I could have this conversation for many, many hours. <laughs> <laughs> So, so thank you for helping me narrow it down. It's fascinating <laughs> to me how the brain processes this stuff. And I think yeah, something oh yeah. I'll, I'll continue to study it and maybe a little more formally once I, once I have time, we're all laughing out loud at that one, but um, <laughs> maybe down the road. So. Well, we'll have you back after you do, once you get time. Yeah. And I'll <laughs> see you when I'm 80. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely have you back and, and have you uh, tell us all about this more research. And if sure. you come up with any more great tips like this, please absolutely come and share them. I'm happy to. So, yeah, and I'm yeah. so glad to have met you. So I'm sure we'll stay connected. Um, absolutely. Like I always tell my students, you're stuck with me once you've been, once you enter my world, you're stuck with same. me. Same. So. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. Good, I'm the same good. Way. So uh, Dr. Melena McLaren, thank you so much for being here and of just course. thanks so much. Absolutely. So glad I could be here. Thank you for joining us today on the Musicians Versus the World podcast in our discussion about the differences in reading music and steps that can be taken to strengthen those skills. As you've listened to this episode, did you resonate with either the over-skimmer or over-reader descriptions? I am firmly in the over-skimmer side of things, and this conversation really helped me to see the world through the eyes of students and colleagues who may find themselves on the other side of music reading. If you were as inspired by this conversation as I was, Please share this episode with friends, family, or students that may benefit from it. And if you're more of a visual person, the video version of this conversation, along with some examples, will be up on our Musicians vs. the World YouTube channel. On top of that, you can also find more information about Dr. McLaren on our website, frostedlens.com slash musicians vs. the world. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. It is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer today is Russ Wilkes. And a very special thank you to our guest, Dr. Melena McLaren, for sharing her time, experience, and teaching strategies with us. In today's episode, you've heard excerpts of El Molinero de Subiza for clarinet and piano by Cristobal Udrid y Segura, performed by Dr. McLaren on clarinet and Dr. Chiling Shea on piano. All music was shared with permission. 
Join us next time where we're going to take a little break from neurodiversity and we're going to learn about some fascinating Brazilian classical composers and their beautiful compositions. And joining us to talk about those composers is flutist Guillermo Andreas. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. And if you have any questions for us or topics you'd like to hear about or any helpful advice for other musicians that you'd like to share, be sure to reach out on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook or send us an email at info at frostedlens.com. We love to hear from you. And in fact, this episode came as a suggestion from one of our listeners. So we really do listen and we appreciate any helpful suggestions that you have for us. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.